We're in this series called A New Mentality, and as we wrap up this series today, I want to ask you a simple question. How do you feel about new things? This is an open-ended question. How do you feel about new things? What's something new that you would like to have? Tell the people in your room right now. What's something new? New car? New shoes? Uh, we installed new floor in our foyer a couple weekends ago. It was fantastic, and every day I go back and I'm like, that's a nice foyer. Look at that floor. I love it. Uh, so, you know, you might want the new car, but let me ask you this. Would you like a new car payment? Not so much. And so there's some things about newness that are exciting and good, but there's some other new things you might not want so much. New things are normally good. But, like, there are some things that maybe maybe you have, like, a favorite pillow, uh, and, and you don't want a new one. I mean, this is broken in perfectly. I don't want it. Have you got that nasty, tore-up, beat up old pillow that's just perfect and you've had it forever you got that new pair of that, that that old pair of boots or shoes or jeans they fit just right all the right shapes i don't want new ones maybe you got that family heirloom it's been in the family for you know hundreds of years or something crazy like that and uh a new one just wouldn't quite be the same it's been in the family for years and so fair enough that's my question today do you want the new mentality that Jesus offers? Because that's been the series that we've been in. Uh, today we're finishing up this series, and we're in the book of Colossians, and it's called A New Mentality, and it's based on this passage from Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, that says this, Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the, hand, the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Now, if you've been hanging with us for this whole teaching series, that verse should be pretty familiar to you by now. Uh, that Once someone accepts Jesus and begins to live the Jesus life, there should be some major shifting in the way that we think, a new mentality. But I wonder if you even want the new mentality. Is it a good thing? I mean, new isn't always better. Maybe the old mentality has worked fine for you and you, and, and you like it. It works pretty good. I'm comfortable with, you know, focusing on earthly things. They bring me joy. It fits me well, like an old pair of boots. It's been in my family for years, the old mentality. And I don't want to change it. Fair enough. I think that we have found, though, through this teaching series, that a life focused on Jesus and making Him supreme is far superior to a life focused on me and earthly and temporary things. In week one we saw how Jesus has come to rescue us from darkness and bring us into the kingdom of light. He, he's saved us from our sin, and He's given us this opportunity to be united with God. In week two, uh, we talked about getting our life in order and the priority thing. and that It's very practical results of putting things in the correct order. And then when we put Jesus first, everything else just starts to work better. So that seems like a good thing for this new mentality. Uh, in the third week, we talked about how we can clothe ourselves with the, the new mentality, clothe ourselves with new habits. Um, and we talked about ridding ourselves of the things that destroy us and, and putting on these new things, this new mentality, these new habits, these Christ-like attributes and, and qualities and character things that make life better and make things work better. And it seems like a better mentality. Last week we paused right on one of those things that we put on. We paused on the word compassion and we had our compassion sunday and how compassion can really change lives and so today as we wrap up the series i hope that what we're finding is that the new mentality is worth it 
And it's totally something that we should get in with. And so uh, grab a Bible or look it up on your phone. And we're going to be in Colossians chapter 4 today. We're going to be starting in verse 2. And in Colossians chapter 4, remember this is the Apostle Paul. And he's teaching uh, to the church at Colossae. He didn't start this church. This guy Epaphras started it. But Paul, as the apostle to the non-Jewish world, uh, writes these letters of instruction. And he's actually uh, pretty impressed with them. And he likes them. And he wants to give them some good instruction and some good teaching. And in chapter 4, verse 2, we see what his final thoughts are as he gets to the end of this letter. So let's look at it. Open up uh, Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. He says, devote yourself to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Okay, so here we go. Paul is wrapping up this letter and he's asking for people to pray. Very specific thing. Will you pray for me? I've asked for prayer a handful of times. Uh, maybe you have too. I, I've asked, when we moved here to Wilmington to start Venture Church, we had a prayer team of 50 or 60 people who I would routinely, sometimes weekly and, and sometimes more often, sometimes less often, I would send out an email or text messages and I would say, this is what we need prayer for today or for this week. Um, and even before our church began, there were people praying for you. How cool is that? Uh, I've asked for prayer through spiritual warfare as I, as I believe that there were spiritual forces uh, trying to bring me down and separate me from God uh, or people that I love away from God. And I prayed for spiritual warriors to step in and, and be prayer partners with me in times like that. I've asked for prayer when I was dealing with temptation as I overcame old sin and and old addiction and trying to get through that mess in my life. And I asked for prayer, for strength and for guidance and for self-control and all those things. And I prayed, I've, I've prayed for sick, I've asked for prayer for sick family members and I've asked for prayer for a lot of things in my life. And so maybe you've asked for prayer too, for different things in your life. I believe in prayer because I believe uh, that it is our opportunity to speak to God and ask for his favor in our lives. And I believe in prayer because I've seen it work. I've experienced answered prayer. And I've experienced praying for things that didn't happen the way that I kind of asked for them to happen, but I saw them come together in a different way, and I saw God's power in that. I've seen, uh, I think I, th I think of this miraculous time in my life when I saw our church family, when we lived in Greenville, pray for our friend Elaine, who was uh, wrestling with a serious life-threatening illness. And doctors said, there's nothing else we can do for you. And we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. And the elders of the church laid hands on her. And uh, within several weeks, she came back with reports saying that the doctors were like, you seem to be better now. And we can't explain it. And those of us who have been praying said, well, we can explain it. God's power is, is bigger than medicine. And so I believe in prayer, but I get it. Prayer is a difficult thing to begin and it's a difficult thing to understand. It's especially difficult. Uh, the, the smaller our faith in God is, the less we tend to care for prayer. And so they go hand in hand. And so maybe you're watching this morning and it's weird to you to talk about prayer. Uh, I, I want to tell you that's totally normal and it's totally okay. And I hope that you'll stick with us and continue in, in this faith journey and, and learn more about prayer. We do have some great teachings on prayer in our podcast. And so if you'd like to know more about that, reach out and I'd love to shoot you some of those links uh, so that you can see some of the things we taught about prayer. This actually isn't a sermon about like how to pray exactly or what prayer does. It's actually about Paul's specific 
instruction about prayer and the, what what he asks for. Okay, and so as we're looking here in chapter four, Paul asks for prayer, and I want to unpack the specific things that Paul asks for that he mentions uh, when it comes to prayer because. As we wrap up this study about a new mentality, I think that this new mentality in Christ, that our thoughts about prayer make a significant difference in our mentality about God. So Paul, in the passage that we just read, he uses four words that I want to use as kind of a guide as we work through this. He says devotion. He says watchful. He says thankful. And then this last few sentences, I'm going to boil down to one word that I'm just going to call clarity. Maybe you've got a better word for that. Post it in the comments. I would love to see it. Uh, but uh, these these would be four words that kind of break up this passage. And this isn't really like a, a four-point lesson. The whole lesson is about a new mentality about prayer. But these four things will guide us. So first he says devotion. Devotion. He says devote yourself to prayer. Being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too that God may be may open a door for our message. So that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. So the first thing he says there is devote yourselves in prayer. Um, This summer would have been the 2020 Olympics. I love the Olympics. I love sports. I'm super bummed that like for sports we're watching reruns and we're watching people play video games while other people comment. But I'm still watching that because I love sports. And when I think about devotion... The first thing that comes to my mind, maybe something else comes to your mind, but the first thing that comes to my mind is Olympic athletes. I mean, these people, the people that you just know their names, Michael Phelps and Simone Biles and Usain Bolt, like these people and the hundreds of others of Olympic athletes around the world, they have worked hard to get where they are. Some of them starting as small, small children to finally get the opportunity to compete in the Olympic Games. On several sites this week, I went and I was curious, what was Michael Phelps's workout plan? And like, because I want to talk about devotion and I want to say, what does it mean to be devoted? These people are devoted. And so, first of all, remember, Michael retired. He was he was an Olympic swimmer. Okay, if you don't know who Michael Phelps is, I don't know what to tell you. But Michael Phelps, Olympic swimmer, uh, he retired in 2012, then he unretired in 2016, then he re-retired after that. Um, but in that time period, he earned 28 Olympic medals. 23 of those were gold medals. So it makes him the most decorated Olympian ever. And uh, though he was very talented and he's freakishly like proportioned to be a swimmer. He's got perfect you know, arms and feet and all this stuff. But it wasn't just his natural ability that made him the most decorated Olympic athlete in the world. It was devotion. And so I, I looked at a couple sites this week and I found a few things about his workout training. W- when Michael was in full training mode, he would swim a minimum of 80,000 meters a week. That's almost 50 miles a week. 50 miles of swimming during training. He practiced uh, twice a day, Okay, sometimes more if he was training in altitude. Uh, and he trains, and he used to train for five to six hours a day, six days a week. And that doesn't even account for like his dietary stuff and all the other coaching and stuff that he's putting in. Uh, and, and I'm sure that he watched video of himself swimming and all, all kinds of stuff like that. This is devotion. Recently, I have uh, developed the habit of going for a morning walk every day during quarantine. I was like, I'm not going to let quarantine hold me down. I'm going for a walk. And I thought I was killing it because I have missed, I think, three days since the first day of April. And so I was like, yeah, I'm killing it. And then I read Michael Phelps' stats and I'm like, yeah, I'm a loser. 
And so uh, uh, maybe I need to work on my devotion to uh, my personal fitness. But devotion, okay, you see that. Now, here's the deal. Not everyone needs to be an Olympic swimmer. In fact, it, amongst the thousands probably who have sought to be Olympic swimmers, there's only been one Michael Phelps. But I think the point here is about what is devotion? Paul says, devote yourselves in prayer. What are you going through right now? What do you need prayer for? And what would it look like if you devoted yourself in prayer? 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says it a little different. The Apostle Paul also wrote this. He said, pray without ceasing. And that seems unattainable. So I don't think that pray without ceasing and devoting yourself to prayer, I don't think that that means like being on your knees with your hands folded next to your bed, uh, like a Norman Rockwell painting with your little uh, nightcap on and your eyes closed, praying 24-7. Like, I don't think that's what pray without ceasing means. I think that it means something more like what, th there was a monk who lived in the 1600s. His name was Brother Lawrence. And Brother Lawrence had discovered this devotion to prayer thing in his own life, and he wrote a little book about it called Practicing the Presence of God. Uh, I read it last year, uh, at least most of it. I'm not going to say I read every word in the book, but I read a lot of it last year because I was really trying to understand that for myself. And I got to tell you, I think he was onto something there. Uh, Brother Lawrence, though he had other praying habits, like he set up certain times to pray, and he prayed for specific things in specific ways, and like that was pretty cool. But he, what he said was, he would learn to think of the presence of God, of always being around him, which it is. It's always around us. And he would try to create this internal dialogue with God so that all day long as he was going through his daily tasks, he would just be conversing with God about it, being aware of his presence. And he tried really hard, and, he, and, and, and every time he found himself distracted by life or physical things or temporary stuff, he would then return to the inner dialogue that he had going on with the Creator and that's practicing the presence of God. And much of the same way that you might do with a friend, like when, when you're going on a road trip and they're riding shotgun, and, and sometimes you're talking about specific things, and other times you're just talking about like the song that came on the radio or the thing that you saw when you drove past, that God is present. And because He's present, you're aware of His presence, you begin to be devoted to prayer. What would it look like for us to devote ourselves in prayer. Like not just the short prayer before a meal or that now I lay me down to sleep prayer or the transitional prayers we make in the major moments of our life. Like you pray, you know, at weddings and funerals and you pray before ball games and, you know, maybe uh, in church we joke amongst me and the others who like are, are part of our worship team. Uh, we'll say, okay, you'll pray here. And we're like, yeah, that's just our transitional prayer. Um, and because we don't want it to be a transitional prayer. Our prayer should be a, a, a dialogue with God. So we've got to fight that transitional prayer piece. And it needs to be about talking with the Creator. And so I've worked myself really hard to develop the practice of the presence of God. I really have. And when I am on my game in that regard, i got to tell you, it makes life way different for me. Uh, sin becomes less tempting. Choices become a little more clear. Um, human interactions become way more enjoyable even the people that might really get on my nerves, I'm like, well, God's here. And you see this guy? Come on. You know? And I'm practicing the presence of God. Conflict is less stressful for me. Now, I want to be transparent and tell you there are seasons when I have had uh, practicing the presence of God in a really good way. And then other times, not so much. And I can see those other things that I just said 
decline. It's like this. It's like when you're aware that there are children in a room with you, you are way less likely to steer towards talking about subjects and doing inappropriate things that are inappropriate for children, unless you're not a good person. And then you need to stop that. I'm serious. Like we need to be aware that children's lives are very, their brains are very malleable and the things that they see at young ages and their innocence, uh, we need to be aware of them in our room. And so when we're aware that children are around us, it should impact how we act and how we talk. Now there's some things that as an adult you can get away with saying and it's not necessarily sinful, but you shouldn't do them in front of kids. And the same thing's true with God. When we are aware of the presence of God, it, impact, it impacts all of our mentality. Because, man, if God's in the room, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to say that. Or I am going to do this. And I am going to say that. Devote yourself in prayer. Whew. Um, so I just, I'm sorry. I got to clarify that we're like a good way into my teaching today. And we've only really discussed one word out of the first sentence of our whole passage. And so, uh, but that one word sets us up because let's look at the rest of them. So we said, okay, so it says, devote yourselves in prayer, being watchful and thankful. That's verse two. So our words were devote, uh, devotion, watchful, thankful, and clarity. These next two, watchful and thankful, I'm going to treat them together because in the original Greek that this was written in, uh, in our NIV, which is the version of the Bible that I just read, it says, be watchful and thankful. Um, but the more literal translation there should probably be, be watchful in thankfulness. The word in is actually there in the Greek. The word and is not even there. So sometimes when I look at how American translations work, uh, it's interesting how some, some phrasings come out differently. But watchful in thankfulness. Now, what in the world does that mean? What does it mean to be watchful in thankfulness? Well, in order to be thankful, you have to be watchful. Like watchfulness is about being aware, about being alert, about knowing what's going on. So I can't be thankful for something if I don't know about it. So I've got to be watchful in thankfulness. I am looking for things to be thankful for. I am aware of the presence of God because I'm devoted in prayer. And I am watchful for things to be thankful for. I am asking myself, where's God in this? What has God already done? Because as I'm praying, I need to be seeing that. I love uh, what Richard Mellick says. He's got a commentary on the book of Colossians that I've been reading for this study. And he says, thankfulness is the environment for good praying. And it provides a safeguard for informed praying. That's interesting. You might want to write that down and think about it later. It's, it's loaded. Thankfulness is the environment for good praying. And it provokes a safeguard for informed praying. So Paul says in verse 3, he says, devote yourself in prayer, being watchful and thankful, or watchful in thankfulness. And then he gets to his actual prayer request. He hasn't actually asked for a prayer request yet, but he gets to it. Uh, and so we get into verse 3. He says, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Our goal for this series has been to develop a new mentality, focusing on the supremacy of Christ. That's the new mentality. The new mentality is Jesus is supreme over everything else. And that we would set our minds on things above, not just on earthly things. So let me ask you, if you're Paul, okay, and you're in prison, or let's say you're in the hospital and you're sick, like a lot of people are, or let's say, you are stuck in your house because of quarantine, like 
All of us are. All right. And life isn't going quite how you imagined it would. And it's not how you hoped it would pan out. What are you setting your mind on? Life isn't going well. What are you setting your mind on? Well, I'm focused on getting out of this prison, proving my innocence or getting a pardon or whatever. Like, I want to get out of here. Or I'm focused on beating this sickness so I can get out of this hospital. Or I'm focused on getting my kids to go outside because they're driving me crazy. Or, like, like I want to become a microbiologist so I can find a cure for COVID-19. Like, like you're focused on your circumstance, right? That's what we're focused on when we're going through hard times. Paul was in chains and you are in chains in some way or another. I don't want to over-allegorize what Paul said here, but I think it's a good analogy that we are constantly in some kind of chains. So what is your mind set on? But here's the thing. When Christ is king and we're seeking his kingdom and eternal life and all these things, and our minds are set on things above, if we can focus on that and we can learn that new mentality, a lot of times the chains that we're stuck in are just, um, they're temporary. It's something that we're not going to focus on anymore. And yes, it's going to be uncomfortable. And we're going to wake up and our bodies are going to be sore or we're going to be frustrated or we're going to be out of money or we're going to be out of a relationship or whatever. Like the pain's still going to be there. But we can learn the idea that this is temporary and God's presence is eternal. And, and I want to focus on that. And so Paul's in chains and look at what he prays for. He prays that God may open a door for the message. And I love his faith in this. He's like, Lord, Help God, God, please open a message for me. And then he go ahead and he, and he assumes that that prayer is going to be answered because the second sentence says that once that door is opened, that I may proclaim clearly as I should. Like he's assuming that a door is going to be open to share the gospel. And that when that door opens, that I should proclaim clearly as I should. He prays for, and this is where I choose the word, clarity. We're all in different situations here, but I think there's a direct application to how we can uh, create this new mentality in our life. If we begin to pray and ask for prayer for clarity in our life, like, God, what is it that you want me to do for you? What doors need to be opened? Show me those open doors. And I know that you're going to open the door, so help me to clearly do the thing that you've called me to do. Paul's in prison, and all he wants to pray for is the ability to share the gospel. He's not praying for softer bed or warm socks or an early release date. He's actually been given the opportunity to get out of prison. If you look in the book of Acts and you study that, he, he, he actually appealed to a higher court after being kind of acquitted of the charges because he actually wanted to use his imprisonment as an open door to speak to higher authorities. He hoped to one day see Caesar. This guy is laser focused on this new mentality, the mentality that Christ is supreme and that no matter what else I'm going through, I am going to focus on Jesus first. It's inspiring. And so he spends uh, he spends this, this prayer request time asking for open doors for the gospel and clarity and how, uh, how he speaks. Um, this past week, I got a message from a guy. And I've told you some of his story a couple of times back when we were meeting together at the YMCA. And this is the guy, if you recall, who uh, tragically lost his toddler son last year when his son wandered into a neighbor's yard and fell into a swimming pool and it was tragic and and but since then this guy has found a clarity a new mentality in Jesus like nobody's business he he wasn't living for God at all before the tragic death of his son 
but that was the catalyst for him turning his heart back to God. And so I have shared a couple of stories uh, about how I've been really inspired by what this guy's doing. But I got a message from him this past week, and he said, hey, I am uh, I'm having a revival. Since North Carolina is now in phase one, I'm going to do an outdoor revival at my church. I want you to know about it, and if you can make your way up, maybe you could you know, come see it or be part of it or something. I said, wow, that, that's awesome. It was, I wasn't able to make it. But it's like, that's crazy. So I go, I go check out his page, and the guy has gotten a flatbed trailer, okay, and he's built like a stage on it, and he's built this platform, this podium kind of thing, and he's got like uh, some speakers from, I, I'm guessing he borrowed them from his church or something, and he's standing out, and he's got a phone, and he's just Facebook-living himself. He gets up, and he's just, just preaching through the book of Jonah. Now, why do I tell that story? My buddy is in quarantine like the rest of us. But instead of sitting at home and pouting about how he wished he could go outside and do things with his friends like he used to, and instead of, uh, I mean, though he's very heartbroken about the loss of his son, instead of just sitting at home and, and, and um, being angry about that, and uh, he shared that he's confused and he doesn't know why God let this happen and all this stuff. Instead, he's taken all of these things that, that it would be really easy to turn sour and he's focused them on asking God a simple question. God, where are the open doors for me to share your gospel? And please help me to share it clearly. And I got to tell you, uh, watching his videos, he's doing a pretty good job. And I'm not saying that we should all go out and build a stage in our yard, and or that any of us necessarily should do that. Maybe you should. I don't know. But what I am asking is this. What are the things in our life that we feel chained to? And we're using that as an excuse to just throw a pity party. Instead of saying, I want to practice the presence of God. I want to be watchful in thankfulness. And I want to look for opportunities, open doors, to invite people into the love of God. This new mentality is about focusing on Jesus, not me. It's about focusing on the eternal, not the temporary. It's about focusing on the kingdom of God, not my kingdom, you know, or your kingdom. And working hard to tell the story of Jesus to anyone in any way that we can. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. May we all seek a new mentality and work hard every day. And listen, if you need to know Jesus more, uh, please don't let quarantine slow you down. There are a lot of ways to reach out, and you know that. So shoot us a message on Facebook. If you want to address it to Chris, I will totally answer our Facebook page. We're not a big church. I literally answer our Facebook messages half the time. Um, and so I'm glad to talk to you. If you'd like to talk to somebody else, one of our elders, they would love to talk to you about what it means to become a Christian, about starting this journey of a new mentality, and how you can adapt some of the uh, the life skills and life-bringing goodness that comes from putting Jesus supreme in our lives. Let me pray for us this morning. 